0: Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today, nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. A little something different for you today. As we're heading back into the world of historical fiction and a new book by Carmen Rodriguez entitled Atacama, which follows the story of two young Chileans in the early part of the 20th century including the Marusia and La Coruna massacres, a series of rather brutal events in Chilean history. And in telling the story of these two young characters as they grow up in this time, as they become adults, the book touches on a lot of issues, not just those in Chilean history that are specific to the struggle for workers' rights in Chile, but a lot of broader issues, including gender the transmission of trauma and the role of art in society as well. There's a lot of big themes here that speak not only, again, just to Chilean history, but to, to, to broader themes that are applicable to everybody uh, who might pick, pick this up. And, and certainly, as Carmen says in the episode, given the influx of Chilean immigrants into Canada during the second half of the 20th century that really increased the population of the chilean canadian community the, the certainly uh, th- there's a lot here that is very relevant to canada and canadian history as well so uh, this is a book that that certainly goes well beyond the borders of chile in its relevance uh, and i had the opportunity to go through it i very much enjoyed it uh, you'll probably hear that during the course of the discussion that i had with Carmen uh, so uh, very much enjoyed it I did talk with her a couple weeks ago so you'll note that I talk about uh, this being a book uh, set in for a 2021 audience don't be thrown by that because it still works for a 2022 audience now that we're here into January and the calendar has flipped Once again, uh, that's certainly, uh, it's not like the book became irrelevant on December 31st. Uh, I I think it really still speaks to a a contemporary audience. So uh, I expect everybody will enjoy the book and I hope that you'll enjoy this discussion uh, because I certainly did. So let's get right into my chat with Carmen Rodriguez. All right. And Carmen Rodriguez joins me from Vancouver. Carmen, how are you today?
1: I'm very good. Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Atacama, a novel. Uh, so let's uh, let's get right into this uh, book, Carmen. And, and what I'm most curious to start with is the idea of historical fiction. We, we've talked a couple of times on the show about telling historical stories through a novelization. But for you, what what really struck you about telling this particular story in this format? And why do you think it's the most effective way to tell the story?
1: Well, I believe that uh, individuals have an impact on what happens around them and on their times. At the same time, those times and that context has an influence on those individuals. So anybody's life, anybody's story is intricately uh, connected to what is around them. Now, this is uh, particularly uh, more important when those times are tumultuous or eventful. And uh, that's what I wanted to do with this novel. Actually, also with my previous novel and my short stories, it was a similar matter. Um, In my previous work, I talked about, I, I wrote about, the interaction between this uh, family and the changing times during the uh, Allende period, actually the several years, uh, three decades leading up to the uh, government of Salvador Allendes uh, in the early 70s and then the military coup of 1973. So in that case, I also uh, tapped on history uh, or integrated history rather into the narration of these fictional characters. So similarly in Atacama, I do the same thing, but I go back in time to the first half of the 20th century and um, through the eyes and the voices of uh, two characters, I explore both there Um, psyches and inner workings and uh, and lives in connection to the historical events that they lived through
0: the book looks at this era as you say early 20th century and it's two young people and the young people are fictionalized but as you say it's going through the real events of uh, leading into the lacaruna massacres and Why do you feel like the the story is? And I found it pretty striking that it's two young people and it's told in that vein. But why use younger characters in the midst of this particular event uh, that is obviously full of violence? Like it it struck me as almost a contrast uh, to tell that story Mm -hmm. through the eyes of young people. But what, what was the motivation behind that?
1: There were a couple of motivations. One is that I based um, the book on my parents' stories. My mother witnessed a very traumatic event when actually she was younger than the character in the book, an event that is narrated early in the novel where she lived, which was uh, in those days, very northern Chile, the last last, uh, city to the north of Chile which later became part of Peru, which had originally been part of Peru and then taken by Chile through a war. So uh, she witnessed a very traumatic event that had had to do with a massacre in which his father had been involved. So uh, she told me and my brothers uh, that story that she had kept to herself for all her years. She told us that story in her death deathbed. And um, and she concluded by saying that now you know why I always hated my father, because my mm. father was a murderer. Um, so that, when she told us that story when she was dying in 1993, um, that really struck me. And uh, I started uh, researching those events. At the same time, I found out that uh, I, don't, I, run, I bumped into this uh Events that had happened not too far away, four or 500 kilometers to the south in the middle of the desert in a saltpeter mine called La Coruña, where there had also been a massacre, this time of uh, Chilean workers. And my father, who had grown up in the saltpeter mines and on the coast of northern Chile of the Atacama Desert, had always been a, a fantastic storyteller. And he told us all the stories about being young and being being a boy, a child laborer, and all the things that he had to do to uh, help the family foraging for food and all of that. So it didn't take long for me to start making the connections between what had happened uh, in Tacna, which my mother had witnessed, and what had happened in La Coruña and all the stories that my father used to tell us when we were young. And that was the genesis of, of the novel.
0: It's interesting that it comes from those personal experience because that adds that emotional depth to the writing that, that always helps, right? It, it's, it's harder to do it when you don't have such a personal investment in it. So how much of the story is from the, the stories of your parents and how much of the external research comes into it? And what type of research were we able to conduct about this era in Chilean history?
1: The story is a fictional story. The overriding story of Lucia and Manuel is fictional. The, uh, as I said before, the opening um, uh, events are real, and I placed uh, well. My mother, it was a, it was true that she was there and witnessed that event. My father was not in La Coruña when the massacre happened, so I fictionalized uh, these uh, characters. In a way, they're based on my parents, but not really. Uh, they evolved, you know, how, I don't know if you know, but when you write fiction, characters tend to uh, take things into their own hands and uh, and evolve in ways that you as the author were not expecting. So they're very loosely uh, based on my parents. But the overriding story, and the story that connects them, and the story that connects the two events, and continues from then on, is completely fictional. Now I was able to do research, both archival research and uh, field research in Chile, in Peru, and also in Spain, because at one point one of my characters goes to Spain, and is part it it's in the midst of the uh, civil war in the late. Uh, 30s. So a lot of research, and as I found out more about what the real events and the history in which my characters were embedded, that also changed, evolved, uh, made my characters evolve and develop. Because also it's a bit of a coming of age novel. They start, the characters begin at the beginning are 12 years old. And by the end of the novel, they're adults in their 30s. So, obviously, they had to evolve, and they evolved together with their activism, with, with their interests, with their uh, professions, and, uh, and with what is happening around them.
0: Obviously, the story is centered around Chile and Chilean history, this time in, in Chilean history. But there's a, a lot of broader themes involved in the book, uh, not, not least of which is, of course, the relationship between the two principal characters that, that you mentioned. So I'm wondering, how do you as the writer, as the author of this, how do you find ways to seamlessly and effectively bring in some of these broader themes that are more universal, that, that don't just speak specifically to Chile and Chilean history into the book in a way that you know, I didn't find it particularly jarring? when when broader themes are are explored or it just sort of occurred to me that, that this book is applicable in a larger setting. It's not just something that Chileans or people with connections to Chile would find interesting. Is that something that consciously you have to do as you're writing or or is that the sort of thing that comes through organically as you're telling the story?
1: I think both. I th- I believe firmly that um, history of all countries at any time is interconnected from the beginning of uh, capitalism, really, and the, uh, the arrival of uh, Europeans in the Americas in search of goods and silver and gold, which they did find and took to Europe, which began, you know, imp- uh, gave an impulse to the beginning of capitalism. Uh, colonialism, imperialism, they're all related. They, they, uh, they affect uh, not one particular country, but continents, uh, Africa, Asia, everywhere. So from my point of view, everything is connected in terms of history. Now, in the first half of the 20th century, there were many, many connections. Again, capitalism had entered a different stage of expansionism, Britain, for example had, uh, had was owning uh, british companies were uh, owned resources in Chile, in Paraguay in argentina, in Peru, everywhere. Later on, American companies came in and again they owned the resources the natural resources of most uh, Latin American countries. And all of this was also related to what was happening elsewhere. In terms, on the other hand, workers' movements had begun to get organized and be very active from the half of the uh, mid-19th century. And with Marx and Engels' uh, Communist Manifesto and other uh, works and other activism that was happening in Europe at the time, that uh, had a huge impact at least in Latin America. And um, workers' movements at the beginning of the 20th century were huge and were strong. And they were not only uh, in search of better conditions, but they really wanted a revolution. And um, the triumph of the Russian Revolution had a huge impact on, on uh, movements, workers' movements uh, in all of the Americas. But Chile was really a pioneer in that sense. Uh, the workers, the women, uh, the working women also were extremely well organized and very, very um, ideological. I was surprised, really, to find out through my research how well read, how well informed these uh, poor uh, you know, these workers that lived in abject poverty, but how intellectually uh, uh, aware they were of everything that was going on in the world and of the ways that they wanted to uh, take the go in, in order to have a revolution. And uh, the ideological differences were many, They have these incredible debates from communism to anarchism and social democratic uh, positions. It was all part of that movement. And that was not only happening in, in Chile, that was happening in Canada. Don't yeah. forget about the Winnipeg strike. Right. And it was happening in, uh, in the United States and it was happening in Europe and it was happening everywhere. So all of those things, it was an international connection among workers in order to resist uh, the imperialist uh, expansion of capitalism. So, yeah, the events that I talk about and the characters that uh, go through those events and live through those events and influence those events may be Chilean and may be very specific, but the overall reach of the novel, I believe, is universal.
0: You know all that as the writer, this international context of everything going on, the Russian Revolution, you mentioned the Winnipeg strike, these things are happening around the world in the 1920s, in, certainly in the 1930s. Like th- these, this is the global environment in which these characters are certainly living. But do you feel like you as the author might have more information than the characters would have in the moment? Like, Like how much information can the characters have? How much knowledge can the characters have of the specifics of the global environment to make it so that, it, that there's a sense of authenticity to their motivations, to their actions, that I, I would imagine knowing all that we know in 2021, looking back on this yeah. era, mm-hmm. you just is there a balancing act there of, of maintaining the authenticity of what the characters would know versus what we know now?
1: Of course there is a balancing act, but at the same time, as I was saying, these characters were part of movements that were very, very aware of what was happening both in Chile and elsewhere. They were very aware that what uh, their thoughts, their ideas, the strategies that their movements uh, pursued were part of an international uh, movement. Because in those days, they were aware. Now, not in the way that we are aware now, looking back, obviously, so yeah in that sense it is a balancing act but at the same time that was something that i did find out through my research of how aware these people were in in those days
0: one of the other connections here of course is is to canada this is largely a canadian-based show most of our listeners will be based in canada Mm -hmm. and there is, of course, a connection here between the, the story that's being told and what's going on uh, in Canada. So so what to you as as the author, someone who who's out there in Vancouver writing this Chilean story, what is the connection there between what's narrated in the novel and Canada a, a, to a Canadian audience and, and to Canadian history?
1: Well, as I already said, I think that there is the connection of the workers' movements that were happening all over the world, including Canada. At the time, the other connection has to do with um, the arrival of uh, Chileans, who were the first wave of Latin Americans to come to Canada in the mid 70s um, following the military coup of 1973. The arrival of Chileans to Canada was the product of the work of many Canadian uh, groups, organizations, church-based groups, uh, workers' groups, unions, and so on. They were the ones that uh, pushed the Trudeau father in those days government to put a, a policy in place that allowed us to come here as refugees and as immigrants. So um, we are here. Chileans are now part of this society. And uh, many, you know, I came as a young person, but I have children and grandchildren who were born here. And uh, so they're Canadian and they carry this history with them, Mm. even though it may not appear so. um, We as a community have been very diligent in... uh, telling our stories to our children and in publishing and telling the stories to the broader Canadian audiences. So Chilean history in a way is part of Canadian history from that perspective. It's also because as I said before, there is no particular history of a country that is not connected to other countries, particularly when capitalism was something, was a, an economic uh, phenomenon process that affected all the whole world. And so did the resistance to the workings of capitalism. Today, uh, we have yet another form of extreme capitalism called neoliberalism, which uh, has affected all of us and has uh, resulted in conditions that may not appear as harsh as the one that uh, people were living through in the first half of the 20th century, but that in fact have created a very, very wealthy elite and extreme poverty and uh, terrible living conditions for great majorities in the world. So uh, we're all in this together now, we're all part of uh, of the same kinds of phenomena that uh, that have affected the world with the word now that we use globally, right? You know, internationally, globally, we're we're all in the same pot.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's, that's really well said, and that that does bring up the other another key theme that comes through in the book is that there is a clear connection between the past and the present that is that is drawn here that what mm-hmm. happened in the past the events of the past uh, certainly do impact ha- how we think of things and how we live today and, and just even in terms of trauma for instance so you know that, that comes through pretty clearly mm-hmm. in the book uh, as well so you know how much for you is the the writer here is Again, motivated by a desire to send a message, or not even send a message, by a desire to to put something out there that is is relevant to today, while still telling an a, an authentic story of the past. But you know, it, it strikes me as as I went through it that this is very much a book for twenty twenty one audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um, I think it was at the back of my mind the whole time. Now, more consciously, there was something that um, that I wanted to make sure that came through, which is that when the 1970 through the September 11, 1973 coup, military coup in Chile happened, the mainstream media everywhere in the world portrayed it as an exceptional event as something that uh, had never happened in Chile before, which in a way it's true to a certain extent. But uh, it portrayed the coup as something out of the blue, that the Chilean military had always been very professional and loyal to whichever government was in, uh, in office, that they had always been um, neutral in many ways. And that was that. That was the official discourse. Now, those of us involved in in politics and left leaning politics and more knowledgeable about history from the other side or from other sides uh, knew that this was not true. The Chilean military had and have a history of repression and of brutality in the late uh, 19th century. Because they were uh, combat, well, they were combating interests, British interests, in relation to the saltpeter, which uh, threw three countries into a war. Peru and Bolivia on the one hand, and Chile on the other hand. Chile was, quote-unquote, triumphant and annexed uh, a good part of what was Bolivia before, including the coast of what was uh, the, the Bolivian coast then, and including... The southern Peru. To us Chileans, history books, uh, textbooks always portrayed this war as this uh, the bravery of the of the Chilean armed forces, the uh, intelligence, the this, the that. When in fact, uh, the Chilean armed forces were cruel, were brutal, and uh, they invaded all the way up to Lima. Uh, they raped. They uh, burned uh, complete libraries. They uh, massacred people. They were renowned. You know, if you read Peruvian history books, if you read Bolivian history books, it's well documented that, uh, and also actually from the international agencies, it's well documented that uh, the Chilean army was brutal. But officially, it was always portrayed as very professional. So... In a way, I wanted to show that that was not true, that as well, the officers, the high-ranking officers of the Chilean army have always been fascists, the, and I don't mean in their only in their behavior, but ideologically. They, they, um, they were inspired by uh, people like Mussolini and Hitler, and, and uh, earlier, also by the very uh, fascistic ideologies of the time. So they were not this neutral professional army that uh, inflicted the coup on on the rest of the population, but a very well-trained army that had been trained mirroring uh, Nazi practices and fascist practices and ideologically fascistic to this day.
0: So how do we take some of those lessons? How, how do we apply those to contemporary events? And, and what would you expect or, or what would you hope that in somebody who reads this book, what do they come away with it with? And, and what are you hoping that the, the message that they can take with them potentially even apply it to their, their lives uh, you know, as we move forward here into 2022? You know, what is that, that goal for you as an author? or Do you have an explicit goal for what you hope a, an audience member takes away?
1: I'm not sure whether I have a goal. Well, first of all, I wish for uh, for my readers to enjoy reading my book, to be attracted to those characters. To, you know, I got to love those characters as I <laughs> as I uh created them. I found them, you know, so interesting and full of life and active and, and, uh, you know, with all their faults and, and, you know, their humanity. I hope that my readers remember Lucia and Manuel for a long time. They may not remember what they did or how they did it, but they may remember them as real people because I try to expose not only the external aspects of their lives and what they did and so on, but also their emotional lives, right? And their mm-hmm. internal lives, because those that's part of uh, what life is. And uh, so I hope they they come away with uh, thinking that they have read a good story about about uh, people that are that seem real. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time. I hope they come away with an idea that um, individuals, as I said, can have an impact on their environment. And uh, even though they, you know, in the case of Lucia and Manuel, they may not have been, quote-unquote, successful because they both wanted a revolution and the revolution didn't happen. Uh, But, you know, through their work, through art and writing, they did have a huge impact, right? They, 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 their lives were rich, and their lives were rich not only for them as individuals, but socially, they had an impact, a social impact, on their environment. And um, we live in a time, you know, of contradictions in terms of uh, of uh, individualism and uh, and collective action. Um, There is a huge emphasis on the individual. There's a huge emphasis on uh, taking care of yourself. You know, um, there are huge companies, you know, interested in only making sure that you don't think about anything else but yourself and you improve yourself and you improve your body and you improve your this and that. But we're social beings. And uh we are in many ways responsible for what is going on out there, and the out there is also also has a huge impact on who we are. but many times or often uh, we're not aware of that. we're not aware of how that history around us, that social milieu is uh, shaping us and at the same time, we need to become aware of how we can have an impact on that social milieu that we are inserted in.
0: Really well said. And I I think that's why, uh, you know, I I come away, it's almost a story of hope, right? That this is a story of, you know, uh, know, perseverance, you know, coming together, creating those relationships, but ultimately one that that brings hope and and joy to to a certain extent to the character. So so it's a very Mm -hmm. optimistic story in that regard.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to hear that you thought so yeah. because uh, yeah. that's, that's my hope. You know, okay. it's not a, it's not a denunciation only of right. terrible events, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. also a story about people acting in response to those events and acting through the arts, acting yep. through creativity. So. In the end, it is a story of positive things and and of hope Mm -hmm. and of of, um, showing how these characters, in spite of trauma and all the stuff that they've gone through, have taken it upon themselves to do something creative, useful, to be part in a positive way of the world.
0: Well again, really well said and, and Carmen, if people want to find Atacama or you mentioned earlier some of the other work that you've done uh, there's poetry work, short short stories you got another other novels out there. If people want more information about you in particular, then Atacama in, in particular, uh, where can they go and what's the best way for them to pick up the book? I
1: have a website uh, which is simply Carmen Rodriguez one word dot ca. There's a lot of information about my books and my life there. They can also go to, I urge people to go to their independent bookstores and uh, in their towns and uh, ask for the book. The book was published by Roseway, which is an imprint of Fernwood Publishing. So they can also order the book directly from Fernwood Publishing, which is fernwoodpublishing.ca. And they will send it to you. Look at the split. Um, and it's not very expensive. It's about $22, I believe. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. I urge everybody to read Atacama. Yes. Not because I wrote it, but because of the story and what it tells.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I totally agree. And it, it certainly do recommend it to everyone out there. And we will link to all of that in the show notes, or if you head on over to activehistory.ca, it'll be there with the post associated with this episode. So Carmen Rodriguez, again, the book is Atacama. Go check it out. Uh, Carmen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. So there you have it, my discussion with Carmen Rodriguez, and I thank her for taking the time to join me. And again, Atacama is the book, and check the show notes for all the links to Carmen's website and where you can pick it up. Uh, And as she said, Always a fan of going to the independent, locally owned bookstores to get your reading materials here. As uh, you know, a lot of folks in January, you do that reset of what am I going to read this year. People like to have reading goals for the year and uh, throw out a comma on there. I certainly enjoyed it and I think you will as well so that will do it for this week's episode we are off and rolling looking forward to 2022 this will be a fun year Uh, we got some good stuff planned uh not least of which is coming in the spring so i'm very excited for uh, some stuff that we already have in the works on the show so if you want to be sure to catch all that do subscribe wherever it is you get your podcast do the likes ratings comments all that good stuff helps other people find the show keeps us growing and chugging along here And do head on over to activehistory.ca, where you can find all of our past episodes under the podcast tab. And, of course, all the great written material over there on the site. If you missed it, of course, the annual year in review, 100 years later, the great Aaron Boys and I went back and looked at 1921 and uh, tried to determine what the most important event was of 1921. I think we got it right, but you can let us know if we did not. So do check that one out. Uh, It was posted over on Active History on December the 17th. So always one of the highlights of the year for Aaron and I to get together and write that. Uh, So if if you missed it, do check that one out, as well as all the other great stuff over there. And if you want to let me know what you think of the bracket or what you want to hear on the show, you can find me history slam at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Sean Graham. So hope everyone is doing well here in 2022, sending all of my best to everybody out there. I really appreciate everybody listening and following along over the years. It, it, gives, me, it gives me joy, I have to say, uh, that, that people do listen to these I do them because I'm interested in the topics. I love talking to the guests. It's so much fun for me to do that. And and that's one of the main motivations why I do it. And the fact that people out there like them and listen to them, it's uh, amazing to me. And I, I can't thank you all enough for keeping us going here into the new year. So we will be back with you next week. But until then, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me.